Let's turn to Hebrews 11, and I'll begin this morning with verses 24 through 27. Hebrews 11:24 through 27, and this is the very word of God Almighty. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as one seeing him who is invisible." I remember in college, after I heard the gospel, responded to grace, became a believer. It was an exciting time. I was a junior. And, you know, somebody had kind of the the forward-looking sense to give me something that I think new believers need to get into their hands. Gave me a missionary biography. Just Just to ignite my vision for God and how he loves this world. First missionary biography I ever received was called, and I always loved this title, C.T. Studd, Cricketeer and Pioneer. This book was about the most popular sports figure in all of England in the year 1882. C.T. Studd was a senior at Cambridge University. He made it on to the national cricket team. Now that was, don't say cricket, um, that's the, that was the national pastime of England and uh, played in the kind of the world championship, if you will, Uh, of cricket that year and he was the celebrity of that particular year he also came from a very wealthy family he was considered to be very handsome by the press at least as i've read uh more than just the book about him and uh and now in his mega stardom and about to graduate from college all the doors You can just imagine all the doors were opening up in front of him. And then he threw it all away. At least that's what people said. Um, C.T. Studd walked away from the money. He walked away from the fame. He walked away from his moment and disappeared into inland China. As a Christian missionary. And when his father died, C.T. Studd gave every penny of a multi-million dollar, in today's dollars, inheritance to Christian and missionary causes. What got into that guy? Well, in short, he could see the real needs of people. And it moved him at the deepest place. And God moved him. And God called him. And he considered his calling from God greater than cricket. Now, in our sports craze culture, can you imagine? Can you imagine a game being exchanged for the souls of men and women? Now, I was out in the yard 
cutting the grass yesterday and I cut the front yard first. You know why? Because people see it from the street, so you cut that one first. And I cut the, the front yard first, and it was about 100 degrees with the heat index, so it was time for me to come in and, and get some ice water and, and cool down a little bit. And I was inside, and while I was mowing out there in the front yard, I was thinking about C.T. Studd and had just read some more information before I went out there. I kind of walk and do and just think like that. But I came back in and, and I turned the television on while I was drinking a tall glass of ice water. And, and do you know what was on uh, ESPN? It was one of those 30 for 30 short films. They're great. If you hadn't seen those, they're great. And this one was also about a mega sports star, the most popular sports star of his day. And he also went by his initials, not CT, but OJ. O.J. Simpson. And I want to tell you, as I thought about C.T. Studd giving it all away, trading a game for the souls of men and women, and I came inside and saw the unraveling tragedy that was the life and is the life of O.J. Simpson, it showed plainly how playing ball and fame and money really doesn't make your life because you're still you. And you got to deal with you. Regardless of what you have or what you do, I'm going to tell you something. I'll take CT over OJ any day. Later in CT Studd's life, he penned a poem that became very famous called Only One Life. And it just kind of sums up CT Studd. And here it is, the, the final line of that poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. That is the valuation. That is the calculation. That is the valuation of C.T. Studd's life right there. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it moved him to leave it all for that call that God gave him. Well, this is also the story of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. Only Moses, Moses is of, of huge consequence to modern life and life going forward to the human race. So much more on the line than C.T. Studd. So much more central to the history of humanity is Moses. And you, you, you might know a little bit about Moses' life when, when the uh, Pharaoh gave an edict. I described it in the baptism. He was going to kill all the male children born. They, they hid Moses. And, and Hebrews 11 said they saw something beautiful in this child. And they really believed that this child wasn't supposed to die. That God was going to use this child. And they hid him. And by faith, they put him in a little basket. And uh, sent the basket down the river. And it was picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh. And the daughter of Pharaoh just couldn't resist this cute little baby. And daughter of Pharaoh raised Moses in the palace with the royal family. Moses became functionally a part of the royal family, the most powerful empire on earth. But, but it says in verse 24 in our text, when he was grown, now he's grown up, he had to make a choice. And you know something? You and I are going to have to make a choice too. And one of the reasons we have these folks in the Scripture is they're like us. They're like us in their weakness, in their brokenness, in their need of a Savior. And they're like, they're like us in that we also can see that we have to make 
a choice. And when he was grown up, he had to make a choice. So what I'd like to do is, is give you two questions this morning that were very central to Moses' choice and might be helpful in your choice. The two questions are, what is your highest pleasure? And secondly, what is your highest hope? What is your highest pleasure? What is your highest hope? What is your highest pleasure? This is an important question because your highest pleasure is what's going to influence you. You're going to go after what is most important to you. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What is your highest pleasure? Now, Moses could have opened or chosen the life that opened every door. He had that in front of him, and um, it all awaited. Uh, they, some of the scholars think that Moses, in the, the, the disciplines of his study in the finest institutions that day, had the equivalent of four college degrees or master's degrees in four dis- different disciplines And of course there was wealth, and of course there was privilege, of course there was going to be leisure. All the things that did not exist in the ancient world, mind you, a brutish time for human beings, short and brutish. Now Moses, Moses cooling his heels in the palace with the Pharaoh's children. But what would Moses choose to do? We read that he chose to forsake his own upbringing in the palace and find solidarity with his people the hebrews he was nursed by his own mother there's a story there i won't tell the whole story he was raised in the early part of his life by his own mother and paid by pharaoh's daughter to do that don't look the cecil b movie demille movie you know the ten commandments don't listen to that all the dizzy stuff don't listen to that you know in those movies moses is like 20 years old, and he goes, I'm a Hebrew? That's not how it worked. Moses knew he was a Hebrew because he was raised by his mother and taught the Bible and, and taught all about the covenant. Then, as, after he was weaned, then, after he had lived in his mother's house, was he sent to live and be trained in the house of the Pharaoh. So why would he do this? He would forsake Egypt for solidarity with his people, to be literally under the heel of Pharaoh, Why would he leave everything that could give you everything? You see, that'd be hard for for us. To leave what could give us everything. I mean, couldn't he do more in the palace? Isn't that a great question? Couldn't he, like, serve Jesus in the palace? Joseph did, you know, earlier. Can he do more from a position of influence? But no, that was not God's will for Moses. That was not God's call for Moses. God's call was not for Moses to help the Hebrews out, to help them out. God's call was for him to lead them out. Out of the hands of slavery. Out of the house of bondage. Out of the clutches of the most powerful man in the entire world. And at, the, at this time, I assure you, this decision... Uh, to forsake Egypt did not make sense to people. He was even turned by, on by his own people, and it was making even less sense. 
And it doesn't make any sense, and it only makes sense if you know what's most important to Moses. And once you discover Moses' highest happiness, his highest pleasure, then it makes sense. Because you see, sometimes saying no to something is a matter of having said yes to something better. Isn't that true? And Moses had said yes to something better. Moses had said yes to God and no to the pleasures and treasures, we read, of Egypt. You know what Moses' highest pleasure was? And you can just kind of read that whole narrative starting in Exodus 2 with the birth of Moses. His highest pleasure was the real pleasure of the unconditional love of God. Real-time love of God, the presence of God, the call of God, the purpose of God. Basically, Moses' life was no longer about him, but about others. That happens when our highest pleasure is, is the love of God. Moses' life was, was no longer about taking. It was about God. It was about giving. We read in verse 25 that Moses realized, do you see this? That the pleasures of sin are fleeting. Other translations say the pleasures of sin for a season. The fleeting pleasures of sin we read in the English Standard Version. Um, Okay, so the pleasures of Egypt... This is his valuation. He's like an accountant. He's, he, this is his valuation. He says they're fleeting, therefore they are inferior to the permanent pleasures of knowing the love and call of an infinite God. But will we see that? What, what is it that allows us to have that, that moment of valuation in the midst of real life? Uh, I found a, an older scholar commentator people say i don't like the word commentator i don't know sounds like mashed potato or something i don't know scholar uh named james hastings and as i was reading his work i was like oh man that's good underline oh man that's good that's true that's true and i want to read to you a, a couple of paragraphs from james hastings comments on this passage james hastings says We need to understand the magic of sin. I love this. The magic of sin. It is not easy, he says, for a man before he commits sin to look at it from the same point of view that he will adopt after he has committed the sin. That is brilliant. The illusion of sin is that it, it, excuse me, the illusion of sin is what gives it its fatal power. It is so glamorous in our eyes, so shiny that we sometimes cannot penetrate through its radiance to the hideous reality of it. It captures and ignites our imagination. It, It seeks to muffle our conscience and paralyze our will. It makes itself seem the most desirable of all things. In fact, the one thing needed to crown and complete our life. That is so true. That is so true. Look, you and I sin. We all sin. We have to repent of our sin. Remember, we are broken people. If you've put your your trust in Christ, who know Christ, who are under his grace and need him and need him every day. 
you and I sin for no other reason than we want to. It's just true. We foolishly put our hope in these things to crown and complete our lives that do not have the power to crown or complete our lives. Nothing but God above and God in Christ, God right here with us, in us, love forever. Nothing but God can crown and complete our lives. I want to read to you from Tim Keller quoting Thomas Oden and then, and then Tim Keller's uh, comments. And this is so interesting. Anxiety becomes intensified. Meaning not only can these things not complete our lives, they actually mess our lives up. Anxiety, Thomas Oden says, becomes intensified to the degree that I have idolized finite things. When finite things become ultimate, bad things happen in our hearts. He goes on to say, suppose my center of value is my health or my political party. Yikes. He didn't say yikes. I added that for your benefit. Both parties. Suppose my center of value is my health or my political party or sexual attractiveness or financial productivity. If my center of value, my I'm saying my highest happiness, my, my highest pleasure is in any of these things. When these things are under threat, when these things start shifting as they do, I am shaken to the core in my life. Not only am I shaken by when they start shifting, I'm shaken by the fear that they will start shifting. Because that's where I've put my trust. That is my highest pleasure. Tim Keller says, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that if you choose anything but God, anything but an infinite source of value, an infinite center of value, you are shakable you are as durable as a as the person or thing that you have banked everything on your life is as durable as what you have banked everything on moses knew this if our highest pleasure is knowing god and walking in unconditional love and integrity with god in repentance yet in freedom because of jesus and acceptance And in serving him, then we will have a much higher quality of life because our life will be in union with God himself. Our life will be rooted in that which there is no shadow or shifting. Isn't that great? You can count on God and he is there and he loves you. And we will be ready when our highest pleasure is the Lord to reject lesser pleasures. Now, pleasures have Their place. I can't stand when we get into this kind of preaching that says all pleasure is bad and just praying is good. That's that's just not what the Bible teaches. No, the Bible teaches that pleasures have their place. And when they are properly enjoyed, they are a gift from God. They are a gift to be enjoyed rather than a tool to be used to make our lives. You see the difference? Boy, if we could get that in our heads. The Bible's not saying don't have any pleasure, don't enjoy this, don't enjoy it. The Bible's saying enjoy it all under what God says about it and under the gifting that it is. You and I live in a world 
today, interestingly, where any of us, and this includes the children because they all have phones and computers, any of us can have the pleasures of Egypt now. And look, I'm not saying that's bad. I'd rather live in this age than like the time before cars and before air conditioning, for instance, and before technology. We make it spiritually harmful because our highest pleasure is not in God. Now, Moses, as royalty, could have almost anything he wanted on demand. Nobody in the ancient world could have what they wanted on demand. You got what you got. And you worked hard to get it. He could have it all on demand. So can we this day. We can click and see. We can click and read. We can click a YouTube video. We can watch uh, anything kind of happening, unfolding in a video. We can buy anything. I'm talking about right now we can do all that. You can do that. We have a Wi-Fi connection. Better not catch you. I, I wonder about this sometimes. And don't think I'm not watching to see if you're looking at me. And you're doing great. David Wells says, with the unleashing of target marketing, the individual is king. It's all about the individual. It's all about our choices. It's all about trying to get us to make these choices, to buy, to look, to click, to this, to that. He says, finally, the whole world is there for the perusing and buying. Hey, let me ask you this question. What are we going to say no to? Because we don't have to say no to much these days. And what will we give our hearts to? And what will our lives reveal as our true highest pleasure? You see, but the bigger question is what you're saying yes to. And don't you love that about the scriptures? It's not just about the no's. It's about the yeses. It's about the big stuff. And the no's flow with the glorious yeses. So first is what is your highest pleasure? Moses' highest pleasure was the presence of God, the call of God. He valued it. He was willing to trade it all to identify with his people and suffer with them. That's why he would do that. But the second is not what is your highest pleasure. It's what is your highest hope. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. What is your highest hope? Moses made evaluation, and there's the word right there in verse 26. It is the word in English considered. It means to evaluate. It means to calculate. That's exactly what it means. That's why I keep using the word valuation, because that's the word the Scripture uses here. The treasures of Egypt versus the reproach of Christ. I mean, that's not a hard choice. The treasures versus the, versus the reproach. Well, Moses determined the reproach of Christ is of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Well, the answer is verse 26. It goes on. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt because, do you see it? He was looking for his reward because his hope was not in the moment. 
It wasn't in what he could get out of somebody or something right now. His hope was what, what, with where, where God was taking him in the future. His hope was all the way to Zion, all the way to heaven. It's beautiful. Reproach. This is strange in the Old Testament to describe somebody in the Old Testament. Reproach for the sake of Christ? How many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ is the life of Moses? It's such an interesting word. The reproach of Christ is such an intensely relational word to us right here in the Old Testament as it's reflecting, the New Testament is reflecting on Exodus chapter 2. What it means, folks, is that Moses had a relationship with God through the Messiah like we do. You understand this idea that you're saved by the law in the Old Testament, you're saved by the Messiah and grace in the New Testament? That's heresy. Because if anybody can approach and be accepted to before a three times holy God with one ounce of merit that we bring, then, then God is no longer totally holy. God has made a deal. He has brought himself down to the, the, the place where he will actually accept us as sinners. No, he accepts us as sinners because the, the holy one, the perfect lamb of God without stain or blemish was sent to die in our place. The Messiah, yes, the one that that, that covenant and those, that, that rite of circumcision and this blood ritual, yes, the one that all those lambs and bulls and goats and the blood that flowed so freely in the temple in the Old Testament, this is all about Jesus and their faith is in Jesus. Now, they don't know all the details that we know about Jesus, but don't you love the fact that Moses knew God just like us if you put your trust in the Messiah Moses loved God because God loved him. You know, grace was amazing to Moses. He didn't know the hymn because it wasn't written yet, but he felt it. It was amazing to him. And we see in the New Testament, because we see it from, from our vantage point after the new, it's a better place to see it from. Where it says, you see, there where it says Moses saw the unseen God. Moses was able to see by faith the unseen God. We see in the New Testament the Messiah who suffered reproach for us. Moses was willing to suffer the reproach of Christ. He chose that. He evaluated it to be greater than all the treasures of Egypt. And then the Messiah suffers our reproach to set us free and jesus is beaten and he is whipped and spat upon he is crucified dead and buried the messiah he is sacrificed the lamb of god and he rose again in victory and he is leading and did lead and is still leading an exodus greater than the exodus that moses led not out of the clutches of an earthly dictator but out of the house of slavery the bondage to sin and death. Jesus has broken the bonds. Jesus has broken the walls. He has broken down the barriers between us and God. I mean, praise his name. Jesus called himself one greater than Moses. And his work is an exodus that is greater than Moses. And you know, 
in our freedom, we can do what Moses did. We can choose him because he chose us. We can love him because he first loved us. We can serve him because he gave himself for us. We can serve him. We can take up the sufferings of Christ just by living out loud as a believer. We can fill up the sufferings of Christ wherever we are just by walking with Jesus who promises that your life won't be easy if you're a believer. There will be faith required. There will be sacrifice required and greater joy than anything we could have dreamed up. And we know that all God's promises are yes in Jesus. That's why our hope is, is, is in, in him. If your highest hope, Moses was looking for his reward. He was, he was suffering the reproach of Christ. If your highest reward and, and hope are in him, then you have a future that is meaningful, filled with love. I want to read something that Kent Hughes said. He said, Moses believed that Israel, not Egypt, stood in unique relationship with the living God and had a unique role in the world to play. Moses chose the most exciting path he could possibly take. To him, life in the brilliance of the Egyptian court was a dull, inferior thing compared to the society of the mistreated people of God who were going exactly where God wanted them to go and would accomplish the salvation of the world. What about you? What is your highest hope? I mean, is everything just rooted in what's in front of you? And our future together as God's people. And all, all of this in heaven that awaits our reward that is ahead i want to finish by reading second corinthians and then just make a couple of comments second corinthians 4 16 through 18 it's a well-worn passage for many people for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but like Moses on what is not seen for what is seen is temporary but what is not seen is eternal faith looks beyond the moment from the seen to the unseen this is what carries us past all the roadblocks and the snares, and I know we fall into them too, but we don't have to live our lives that way. We can repent to the Lord within his grace, and he will always forgive us. He will always put us right back on that pilgrim path. When our highest pleasure is knowing and loving God and our highest hope is in God's future, faith helps us choose. Faith helps us have a true valuation and those valuations sometimes lead to bold decisions to say yes and to say no. And faith alone delivers the life if you've put your trust in him that you really want more than anything. The life that God himself wants to deliver to you. 
by faith, Moses. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we just stand in awe of you. We are sinners. We have no hope except in your sovereign mercy. Lord, we read of Moses and we are so amazed at this man of faith. And yet we, we see him also sinning. We see him messing up and we see your mercy and grace in his life. If you've never put your trust in Christ and what he's done on the cross to take away your sin before God that you can't take away and you'd like to, and you see it, just pray with me now. Lord, I see it. I've just never seen it like this. And I want to turn from everything that I have called religion and everything that I have called Christianity. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, Lamb of God, in what you have done for me. And, oh, lead me into the life that you want to give me by your Holy Spirit's leadership. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time, and we have known times of great freedom and joy and horizon, and we have known times that have been more myopic, times that our eyes have been drawn to lesser things, times when we have used the pleasures rather than enjoyed them under your grace. Times when we have been free and times when we have been less free. Oh, Lord, would you shift in our hearts our highest pleasure to your love, which is better than life, your presence and your call. Would you shift us from just the immediate to our highest hope, which is all your promises fulfilled in and through our life. And through your church and the heaven that awaits. We can't thank you enough for your grace. And we look to you. Give us faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.